Thanks for listening to the podcast from Jonathan Combs and the preaching team at Eastgate Church in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Check us out on the web at eastgate.church for more. And now, here's the sermon. Morning, church. Good to see everybody today. I'm so thankful you're here. We're continuing our series this morning uh, in the book of Hebrews. Uh, we're getting that book started over the next few weeks, and we've titled this sermon series, Jesus is Greater. And that's really the, the heart of this whole, really this whole book is about just the greatness of our Savior, what that means to us, and what that means as far as how we live and how we live a changed life. And today we're going to talk about this idea of a greater calling. I want to remind you All of this is based around what is said in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 4, where it says, This shows that the Son is far greater than the angels, just as the name God gave Him is greater than their names. That is the beginning of this theme that the the writer has of greater than, superior to. And today, as we look at Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 19, we're seeing this idea that a voice has has come out, a greater voice of God has come to us. And the question then is how do we respond to that? What is that call, this greater calling, if you will? Now, when we were kids, and this is a lot of you in the audience, when we were kids, we would play outside all day until dark. Um, Now, my kids, it's too hot, and sometimes, you know, I don't remember it being too hot for me. Uh, but if, even if it was, it just wasn't allowed to stay inside. That's just how I was raised. When it was summer, get out of the house. And I know now why my parents did this. It's because children are excessively loud. And so get out of my house, go be loud somewhere where loudness I don't hear. Uh, but I would stay out all day until it started getting dark and you would hear those famous words, dinner time. That voice ring out, dinner time, from my mom or if I was at my grandparents or my grandma. In fact... In the the older days, at some of the farmhouses that I grew up around, and some of you may have too, they actually had like dinner bells. So you'd hear the voice, if you will, of that dinner bell ring out. You could be way down the road and you knew, oh, it's dinner time. And that's an exciting time. Maybe not as kids. Kids are kind of picky. But I know this. It's still one of my favorite words to hear, dinner time. I love to eat. um, And I love to share a meal with people. And this is exactly the kind of calling of the Father today, this kind of calling. In fact, Jesus says this in Revelation 3. Come, basically, come home, eat with me and I with you. Revelation 3.20, I will come in and sup with him in the King James. I will eat with him and he with me. This is the calling of God. Look at Matthew chapter 11. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. A, A voice has rung out, if you will. A calling has come out by the person of the cross. That God has spoken a new word, a greater word to us. And now the question is, how will we receive it? How will we respond? Because this calling is not to a religion. Now that's what I think sets authentic Christianity apart from so much of the rest of the world. We've been called into a relationship with a heavenly with, with a divine God, with Jesus. We've been called not to religion, but relationship. Not to a philosophy, but to a person. And this person is Jesus. And he says, he promises, I will give you rest. 
And that's part of what we're going to speak to today, that is when we hear this voice and we respond to it, we can enter into his rest. Next week, we're going to speak even more about that, this idea of a greater rest. But he's touching on that even today, and the question is this, do you feel like you need some rest? Now, some of you showed up tired. I want to pick on Maya for a minute. She showed up so tired. The sweet girl fell asleep in the car in the parking lot. I had to go knock on the window. Hey, come worship with us. She, she was on time, but tired. So I'm glad you made it without sleeping on the journey. Um, but some of us are that kind of tired. But there's another kind of rest we need that most of us need. A true rest, a rest from something that no amount of sleep can fix. No amount of... Um, drink or, or, or food or anything can fix it. There's another kind of rest that we really need. It's a spiritual one. Rest from news that we are constantly inundated with. News about the war here and here. and here. There's wars everywhere and rumors of wars. and that's, We're constantly hearing about that. And there's terrible things going on. And riots in our streets and shootings in Maine and political fighting. And that's just on the outside. Let's not even talk about what's going on inside where there's marital strife or financial woe or your, your kids are going nuts, there's parenting problems, there's work drama, there's depression, there's all of these aspects both without and within. Where can we turn? Do you feel that sense of, I need true rest. I need to hear the voice of God. Who's calling? There's so many competing voices. There's a lot of stuff you could go online and figure out, how do I find peace? How do I find true rest? And you will find hundreds of articles and things to try. And some of you have tried them. I wonder though, maybe you've heard about the calling of Christ. Have you truly responded to it? That's what we want to do today. We want to dig into this idea of what it looks like. What does it mean to rightly respond to the calling of Christ? In the book of Hebrews, where we're going to be today, chapter 3, the author here has warned the Hebrew people not to harden their hearts against the greater calling of Jesus. And we can heed this warning too, not to harden our hearts and rightly respond to this greater calling. I think we're going to see four very clear ways to rightly respond to the greater calling of Jesus. So let's dig in, starting at Hebrews 3, verse 7. Here's what it says. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear my voice, hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your, your fathers, your forefathers put me, me being God, to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray. In their heart, they always go astray. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come. We've come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. For as it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were these? Who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? 
And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that we were unable to enter because of unbelief. God bless the reading of his word. Amen? Amen. There's some interesting things to unpack in this. There's some Old Testament stuff to work through as is going to be a constant theme. We're dealing with the book of Hebrews, where the writer is dealing with people of Jewish background. And so again, we're working through something together. So the first thing is, he's, he's calling us. There's a voice that's rang out. How do we respond to it? Here's the first thing that seems pretty obvious in the text. That is, that we should respond immediately. That we should not delay. You'll see this word today. You'll see it in verse 7, verse 13, and then again in verse 15. This is a theme through the text here is now. This word means now, right now. And here he's quoting, he quotes it twice. He's quoting the book of Psalms, 95, chapter 95, verses 7 through 11. And this is certainly in its day speaking to the people of Moses in the wilderness when they had a great rebellion and a failure. But it's also telling us that this connects to now. That this is a word, this is the amazing thing about the Bible, is it's telling a grand narrative of of Christ Jesus and how God would save us. And then we're still in it. We're the church that's involved. And the word rings out to us now. Today, listen to this church. Today, if you hear his voice, how will you respond? That's the point of this letter, both then and now. How will you respond? Will you harden your hearts? He says, today, do something with this right now. Circle it there in your text. Remind remind yourself of this now. Chuck Swindoll, when writing on this, says, The moment we hear God speak, we should respond. To delay is to allow hardness to set in like rigor mortis until our faith and obedience are as lifeless as a corpse ready for burial. That's so true. The longer you put off what God has said or spoken into your life, the more it just becomes stale to you. And some of you are in this very predicament. I have been where God has called, God has spoken into your life, perhaps even in just mere, the mere salvation faith that comes in Jesus, and you have decided, I'm going to put that off until later, but it's become stale. He says, no, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Don't put it off. This idea of hardening of hearts, you don't hear that super common in, in, in you know, your common language. Don't harden your heart. But we do use words like obstinate, stubborn. This is the kind of thing he's speaking to here is that we would become a stubborn people. That our hearts would become like stone. As often in the text, this word heart doesn't, it doesn't mean you're beating. It's more about your being, who, who you are. The central aspect of who you are in your physical and spiritual life. He says, don't harden that towards God. Just like these people of old in, in this rebellion. Now, he's going to define this. This is the cool thing about today's text is I don't even have to wonder what he's speaking about there. He's, he's told us in his word that this was about Moses. In the past, it was about Moses in Egypt. And there was this time period where they rebelled against God. And the way in which they rebelled was, hey... We were better off when we were in Egypt. That was this thing that people started to say. We were better off. We ate better. Things were better there. Totally forgetting the part where they were slaves and worked to the bone. They'd forgotten that piece. 
as we often do. We often forget, oh, things were better back then, but we forgot there was some really bad stuff going on then. There's just there's things to wrestle through at every stage of life. And they started looking back and they rebelled against God. We had it better then. You've led us out here to die. They started to doubt God is he even with us. And then they're called into the promised land to begin to scout it out. And only two men believed. The rest didn't. So what did God do? It's, he tells us right here he was provoked for 40 years. For 40 years they continued to just wander. Wander in and around the desert area there. That's a wild thing to consider. They lived nomadic, without a home, for an entire generation of people. And that's exactly why God did it. Because for an unbelieving, disobedient people, he basically said, well, we're just going to let y'all die out. That's a, that's a hard thought, a hard word. But that's what he's speaking to here, that when we come with a hardness of hearts, all right, well, we'll put this off. We'll put this off until a people will, will come up who will believe and will take the land. And that's what happens. The next generation are faithful and they believe. And under Joshua, they go into the land. And, and, and this is what he says in verse 9. He said, in spite of the fact that this people, verse 9 says, saw my works. What have they seen? Just imagine this for a minute. Imagine in your life seeing the miracles that the, these people saw. Now, Here's the good news. There have been many miracles in your life already. Sometimes you don't have eyes to see them. But these were hard to miss. They've seen the plagues of Egypt. They've seen the parting of the Red Sea. They, they've followed a cloud by day and a, fire by, a pillar of fire by night. They've seen manna. They've seen bread fall from heaven. I've never gotten that kind of sign that God is real and working in my life. But here's what I know. I'm not so different from these people. And I could get those very signs and still harden my heart and go, okay, but where is God today? Oh, yeah, he's done some great things for me in my past, but where is he at now? That's how we are as human beings. That's who we are. We do that in our relationships with other people too, let's be honest. Oh, yeah, but what have you done for me lately? That's the way we live. Saw my works and provoked me to wrath, and I did not allow them to enter my rest. Now, the word rest here has to do with, in the past tense, it has to do with the promised land. I did not allow them to enter into the place where they could find rest. For us, it means both a, a physical destination in the future, which is called heaven, but also the rest of God now, the kingdom come. So don't harden your hearts. Respond immediately. Don't put this off any longer. I have heard people in my life say, okay, I th a lot of what you're saying is true, but I don't want to really deal with that right now. I'm going to deal with that later. This faith stuff, this Christianity stuff, I'm going to put that off. I'll deal with that later on. And they put off, and I've heard this from a lot of people. Like, okay, that faith thing might, might be true, but, but it's going to require me to be obedient to God, and I don't really want to live like that right now. I'm going to do my thing, and I'll get back to that. That's a wild way to think. And not only that, but there's a very strong chance that you're, the, the, the process of hardening one's heart is already beginning in that moment. You're going to put it off permanently. And not only that, you're missing the point. If that's you today, my friend, you're missing something you didn't catch. God created you for himself. Your greatest peace and joy is found in him. And you don't know that 
you think it's found somewhere else. And sowing wild oats or in financial gain or in meeting the right person or in getting this thing right or being a parent or buying the right house or going to some destination I've always wanted. You've got some list of what you need to do before you can follow God and you didn't realize that you won't find peace and joy and purpose in any of that. Because he made you for himself. I know that's a challenging word to hear. Christ is calling you today to respond today to the voice of God. Now, believer in the room, this is for you too. Don't tune out like, oh, well, that's for the non-believer. That's for the person who's not yet put their faith. No, here's what happens to us too as believers. We'll put something off that God has said. He has spoken to an, into our life and maybe said something about something we are living in sin about. Some aspect of our life that we say, you know, God, I've given you everything, but that thing, I really need that thing, God. Because if I don't have that, I'm just going to lose control. That thing gives me comfort, some addiction, some habit, some way of life, my anger, whatever. I'm holding on to that. I've given God so much, and yet this old adage, is, it remains true. It's just true. Either Jesus is Lord of all, or he's not Lord at all. He wants every aspect. And the thing you're hanging on to isn't helping you. It's killing you. And that very thing, if you would just offer it up freely, you would find freedom for the first time in your life. You would know what it means to have peace. But you got to, the, to the believer in the room, do you hear the voice of God calling today? Do you, don't harden your hearts to that. Or maybe to some of you, he's called you to do something. To, um, to, to uh, some ministry opportunity or some person. Hey, I really, I just keep getting opportunities to talk to John at work or whatever. I don't want to, God. We harden our hearts. And the more we harden our hearts to what God has clearly challenged us to do, the more we're never going to do it. We just keep putting it off. Don't harden your hearts and delay responding. Today is the day of your salvation. Today is the day of your purpose and peace found. 2 Corinthians 6, it says, For God says, At just the right time, I heard you. And on the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. Today. Jesus calls us likewise in Matthew chapter 8. This is one of the hard sayings of Jesus. Another of his disciples said, Lord, let me first return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me now. Let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Really hard saying of Jesus. Unless, of course, you understand the process. And some of you have heard this before. But for a few of you in the audience, this is a good word. That the, the process of going home and burying one's father was not just a week. Some, some, almost all of us have been through funeral arrangements. We've dealt with what it means to, to get through that season. And yeah, there's the grief and that takes so much time. But the actual arrangement does not take that long. For the Jewish person though, it took a year. A year to prepare the bones, the ossuary box, to prepare the gravesite. There were, there were festivals. There were a lot of things they did. It took a year. So this man is saying, Jesus, I will follow you in a year. Follow me now, he says. Follow me now. Now that might sound like a really good excuse to you. <laughs> I imagine your excuses aren't even that good. 
let me go home and deal with my family issues. No, yours might be something far less. And yet, regardless of who you are and what excuses you're bringing to the table, Jesus says, follow me now. Today is the day of salvation. Today. Here's the second way in which we rightly respond to the call, the greater call of Christ. Respond carefully. This is what verse 12 says. There's only two imperatives. That means command verbs. There's only two of those in today's text. One of them is take care. A present active command verb. That means to... It's really a metaphor for with, with the mind, with your, the power of your understanding. Observe it. Discern it mentally. Perceive it. Understand it. Like pay careful attention to it. To what? To the calling, the greater calling of Jesus. He says, take care unless you give in and fall away to this unbelieving evil heart, he says. This is not, this is not him saying, hey, if you have doubts, you're in big trouble. A lot of us struggle with doubt about so many things. But to give in to something in us, this sinful nature that we're born with and say, oh, there is no God and push that off. No, take, take care and hear the voice ringing out today. There's an aspect of this that's like guard oneself. If you've come to faith, perhaps some of you at an early age, your, your time of testing is challenging. That there's a season of life where you have to make a decision. Do I believe the faith of my forefathers? Do, do I believe what I've been taught if I grew up in church? That's kind of, I think, who he's speaking to here. Now, some of you, your, your experience of salvation is not like this. You were an adult. You'd already done some wild stuff, perhaps. So when you, tra- when you came to faith, you were already confident in it. There was a certain level. But for someone like me, I grew up, my, my dad's a pastor, which is often a dangerous thing. Some of you have met some PKs in your day that are some of the wildest people you've ever met in your life. And it's because we're often sheltered. When we finally get to experience life, we really go after it. There was that decision point for me late high school into college where who who am I really going to be? Am I following Christ? Am I going to take care of my heart? As now I'm beginning to see how most of the rest of the world lives. Do I want to be like that? Do I believe as they believe? Or is what I've been taught and what I was raised in, is it legit? I made the decision it was. I made the decision that everything I had seen and heard and been taught, this actually works in real life and it actually provides meaning to things that most people can't find meaning in. That hope is often lost. And the reason it's lost is because you've got to have hope in something that doesn't move. And so often... The rest of the world is looking for something to cling on to, and it moves. It's a constant moving target. If I just had a little more of this, a little more wealth, the right kind of things, the right kind of relationship, and that target keeps moving, and yet God is an anchor. And the gospel is an anchor. This is what the proverb says in chapter 4 to guard one's heart. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. How do you do this? How do you guard it? There's a lot of scriptures I could go to for this, but in Psalm 139, it says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. 
Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. What kind of questions are you asking of God? Like, God, look in, study me, search me. You know me. Reveal to me the areas in which I'm having these anxious thoughts where I'm struggling with stress, with Point out those things that offend you. What a wonderful prayer. What a wonderful thing to offer up. It's this idea, and some of you have a lot of experience in this. I have a lot of experience in uh, constant indicators coming up on my dashboard in my car. Um, I have a way. Don't ever let me borrow your car. Just I won't even ask. I won't ask because I'll ruin it. Either me or my wife. One of us has... What would be the opposite of a green thumb for like vehicles? I don't know what that would be. A black thumb. Like a vehicle black thumb. Right now I've got like every kind of indicator on the Kia Sedona right now in the minivan. Like just, just a, a litany of indicators. Things I didn't even know the car did. Um, BDS warning system right now. Ringing a bell for anybody? Blind spot detection system. So don't you be getting up on me in my blind spot right now because my car, I guess, will lose its mind. I don't know. I don't know what it'll do. And apparently it's a little sensor somewhere in there. It's like 15 bucks, but i got to figure out where in the world that goes. I'm decent at preaching. I have no idea what I'm doing with cars. There's these warning indicators on the dashboard. And guess what I've learned? If you just go, I don't want to deal with that today. Begin to harden your heart towards that dashboard. The car eventually says, well, forget you. It just will. It just will. It will break. You get those check engine lights, you better take them seriously. The little warning indicator of that little guy with the oil looks like a genie lamp. The genie's about to come out. That ain't no genie. You better pay attention. You've got these exact kind of indicators happening in your life. There are blinking signs in your life right now that say, are you listening to the voice of God? And you keep going, I want to deal with that today you got like the, the biggest check engine light right there just written across your forehead. I don't want to deal with that today until the system begins to just break down. Why am, I, why am I feeling like I'm hitting rock bottom? Well, unlike the psalmist, you're not asking, search me, oh God. You're not even talking to him anymore. You've given up on that aspect. No, the... The writer of Hebrews says so carefully, Dear brothers, dear brothers and sisters, take care. Take care of your hearts. Guard it. Be in your word. Be in prayer with the Savior. And then to take it a step further, he says, exhort one another. And that's the third response. Respond continually. So respond immediately, carefully. Then respond continually. Now how do we do that? Well, that certainly has to do with a discipline, if you will, a life discipline of spending time in God's word, of prayer. But he makes it even more specific and says exhort one another. The second command verb of our text. This word exhort, we don't use it a whole lot. Some of the synonyms could be like to uh, encourage strongly. It has a sense of like push one another. Bring out the best in one another. Now, some of you are pushy people. You know who you are. Being a pushy person isn't necessarily a good thing unless you're pushing them in the correct direction. This is the idea of this word exhort one another. Is push them towards the Savior. 
as parents, this is your primary purpose. I, I don't even have to do a marital, uh, like a parenting seminar. Here is your primary purpose, to exhort your children to the Lord. Do that with everything you are. Push them to Jesus and go, all right, Jesus, fix this, because you can't. Exhort one another. How often? Every day. This is where we're getting this word continually. That you have a habit of responding to Jesus. You have a habit of sharing in Christ, as it says here in verse 14 and 15. You have a habit of it. Otherwise, this deceitfulness of sin creeps in. You struggle, as verse 14 says, with your original confidence that there's a firm foundation. But the longer you separate yourself from the people of God and the person of Christ, the longer you stay apart. The more your confidence is shaken and sin creeps in its ugly head. This is why the writer of Colossians, Paul, says, Colossians 3, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Now, that last part is a theme throughout the Bible. Some of you would very much like to just show up on Sundays and maybe hear me preach. I appreciate that, but the thing we do before I preach, super important. And we don't do it by accident. It's not Churches haven't been singing together for millennia because we like to sing. We do it because God's word says do it. Singing psalms, hymns, joyful songs. Because something else stirs in the heart. And all of these things are meant to stir your heart towards God. And we do this together. It's part of our fellowship. You know what's it's really wonderful too to hear some of you who do not have good voices in the audience. It's great. It's great. I'm not joking about this. I'm glad that you're singing because God's word has called you to do so. This, this means that you care more about projecting these, to, these words to the Lord than you care about how you sound. And that's a wonderful thing. Own it. I'm terrible. Woohoo! I'm really bad at some of the things I do up here, but I still do them. And you have to watch me do it. Wow. And we do these things together in fellowship. There's a lot of things we're trying to do as a church. And the reason we do them is because we're called to admonish and exhort one another. It's not because we're desperate uh, for, for, you know, we're somehow desperate for relationship. Now, some of you are feeling that. You, you feel alone. Some of you feel a sense of loneliness. That's good. That's great. I'm glad that your church can be that for you. But the reason that we do things like church on Sunday morning is the reason we do weekly community groups together. The reason that we do a lot of things together is because we've been called to do it. To exhort one another. The, way, the reason that our community groups are shaped the way they, they are. So that we get into the word and we discuss it. Sometimes the questions are imperfect. They're often imperfect. Especially when I write them. But they're meant to challenge us and bring us into conversation where we go. Oh, you're struggling with that too. How are you getting through that? How are you working through that? So that we challenge each other and push one another towards Christ Jesus. That's why we do these things. It's not because of, some, of anything else. Because there's a truth when it comes to our faith. There's a truth when it comes to the way in which we approach Christ. That we're, we're much like a fire. And, 
In fact, Paul speaks to this. When he talks to Timothy, he says, fan the flame. That so many of us, when we come to Jesus, when we hear the voice of God and we respond to it, we have, in a sense, when we say this as Christians, we say, that person's really on fire. Now, we used to say that, too, when we would play NBA Jam back in the day. I don't know if any of y'all played NBA Jam, but, you know, you start hitting shots. He's on fire! But as Christians, we say that, too. Like, this, this guy's really on fire for the Lord. And that means he's talking about it a lot. He's trying to live for God. And then somewhere along the way, we just stop saying that about people. Yeah, he's a, he's been, I've been a Christian a long time. It's like we all come to AA meetings and go, yes, my name's Jonathan, and I'm a Christian. What happened to the fire that should have been fanned? The flame that was burning hot? Well, it's very simple. It's actually very simple. If you look at a fire, and some of you have fire, fireplaces at home. I've still got a natural burning one. My wife had to have that. And I like it. It smells nice. It's pretty. It's very simple how to put out a fire. Sometimes they can be challenging to start, but they're very easy to put out. What do you have to do? Just separate the logs. Now, there's a lot of ways. Yeah, you could dump water on it and all that kind of stuff, but you're not doing that in your house. That's a smoky mess. It's time to go to bed. What do you do? You push the logs apart, and they will put themselves out. What happens to a believer when he pushes himself apart? Not just from one another, but from the Father. The flame dies. And it will every single time. It will every time. Also, though, good news. Good news, my friends. You feel this flame, this this desire to live and walk with God and you're lacking peace. Get back in community with Him. Exhort one another. You're sitting pretty close together right now. It's a good start. Fan the flame Put the fire back together. Put the embers together. Put the logs back together. Because look, we're a forgetful people. We need continual reminders. This is why this writer says, and in other places in Scripture, exhort one another daily, every day. Make it a part of who you are. I want to walk with the Lord. Otherwise, the farther I distance myself, the more my heart is hard, and I lose a sense of my way. And here's the fourth and final way to rightly respond to the call of Christ. Respond obediently. Every time I use this word in a sermon, it makes me feel kind of excited because I know it rubs so many people the wrong way. And I I don't know why. I just enjoy making you uh, unhappy. I don't know why. Um, I got no laughs. I'm kidding about that. I'm not trying to make you unhappy. Respond obediently. We don't love the word obedience. We do have to be honest about that. We don't really love this word obedience because we like our way. We just do. It's the way we are. But that's how this verse really ends. As it says, basically, here's the psalm again. Today, when you hear the voice of the Lord, don't harden your hearts. And just so you know, that psalm is about blank. It's about Moses and the people in the wilderness. But it ends with a very curious thought. Verses 18 and 19. Those who were not allowed to enter his rest were those who were disobedient. And then it says those who were unable to enter were unable because of unbelief. That means the writer is connecting two things together. That disobedience and unbelief are brothers. They're bestest of friends. That an unbelieving heart produces a disobedience. 
That disobedience produces more unbelief. Eight times in this final section, he, he asks this question, who or whom? Who are these people? Well, they're the people of Israel, those who followed Moses. And it answers all those questions. Who is it that rebelled? Who is it that sinned? Why is it that God was provoked? He was provoked because of their disobedience. He was provoked because of their unbelief. And James asks this in the New Testament. He asks this rhetorical question. Isn't faith without obedience dead? This is what James chapter 2 says. And this is in the King James, you're going to love it. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Faith without works is dead. That is, faith without obedience to the things Christ has called you to is a dead faith. It's mere lip service at that point. This is true in everything in life. It shouldn't shock us that it's true in spiritual life. I can tell my wife all day long, I love you. But if nothing I do action-wise is clearly that, she will doubt my words until she just downright doesn't believe them. I love you, honey. No, I'm not taking out the trash. I love you, honey. You parent those four kids. I ain't dealing with them today. I just ain't feeling the love. I'm hearing the love. I'm not feeling it. Oh, God, I love you, but I don't like your word and what it tells me to do. Well, how is it that you could love him at all? How is it that you could trust that the gospel of Christ crucified and raised for you is true, but the rest of it isn't? This is a confusing way to live. Don't pay mere lip service to it. Faith without works is dead. Now, works without faith is also dead. He doesn't say that. He's implying that. That to merely have works without faith And that's most world religions is also dead. But your faith should present itself for Jesus believing and obeying are connected. He says this in John chapter 3. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. Obedience and belief are connected. So how will you respond? Well, this is... This last point is as much for the believer as anything. Certainly it might be for you today if you're hearing Christ has paid for me, that I can have faith in him and that I can be saved and that I can live in peace. And That there is a matter of obedient faith in that, that I will respond and say, yes, I believe and I will walk with him. That's true. But this word is especially for the believer today, I think, who has said, I believe in the cross. I believe in the resurrection. I believe a lot of this, but I don't like this part. I don't like this part. And Either he's Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. Now there's a trend. It's kind of been happening for a little while, and I'm, I'm going to end with this thought, something to kind of challenge you with. You may have heard this term, this, this kind of new trend called deconstructing Christianity. Have you heard this? Raise your hand if you've heard, or deconstructing your faith. You heard this term, anybody? Some of you. There's this, this kind of trend happening, and it's often with, uh, what, generally it's almost always with people of, of, of you know, church background, Christian people. And, um, and it's normally a younger thing to do. I've not seen this as much among uh, older folks, but those, those like in their 20s or something, it's like somewhere around the college age, they start to do this thing. 
called Deconstructing Faith. And in a recent article, I would encourage you, anytime you just want to learn some stuff uh, about theology, the, the Gospel Coalition is a very wonderful site, the Gospel Coalition. But anyway, I was asking this question because the thought came to mind as I was wrestling with faith and obedience is why is this trend? And here's what they came up with. I think they're right. I'm pretty sure this is true, that there are four particular reasons why people are doing this thing they call deconstructing their faith. Number one, and this is almost always true, church hurt. I am hurt at God because of his church, which is not always a perfect representation of him. In fact, it's always a bit of a flawed representation of God. Even in our church, we don't get it all right. We want to. Our, our goal is to live and imitate Jesus and do that corporately as a people. But anywhere, anytime you get just a handful of people together, you'll find out people hurt people. They do it all the time. And so church hurt. It's easier to just, just when you have that kind of church hurt, though, it's easier to go ahead and throw the baby out with the bathwater because I just don't want to deal with any of it, so I'm just going to throw it all out. That's so many people. Number two is straight up just poor teaching. Some people went to church, grew up in churches where the word was not spoken very well or very clearly or was just downright wrong. And this raises some thoughts. People start to fall prey to the original, really the original question of the evil one, which is, did God really say? And so if you've had some questionable teaching growing up, you will begin to ask this question, well, did God really say any of this? Can I believe any of it? So poor teaching. Number three is often common, a desire to sin. Some deconstruct out of desire to justify what they want to do in life. They want to justify the sin, so they say faith cannot be. It cannot be. So they find more and more reasons. And then, and this one's sad, but I think it's true. The article says, number four, street cred. That doubt is hip. It's popular. It's popular to be in this like culture of no relative, nothing's true. This is a popular way to live. That you can live basically fluid on all issues. What I found interesting though is so many of these stories sound like they're all reading. And I've read, I read a lot of these articles and a lot of different people. Have, there have been worship pastors... Famous people within the church who have deconstructed their faith. And what's really strange is how they all sound like they're reading the same script. And I don't know, maybe that's an unfair assessment. I, I imagine a lot of people would say that of Christians. You're reading the same script. And they'd be right. We're, we're reading the same script. But it's true. So maybe that's an unfair assessment, but it seems to me that there's like a bunch of cliches that everybody's buying in to conform. And this unbelief, this disobedience is directly connected. And so often it's based not on the person of Jesus. So often people's doubts and people's rejection of faith is not really based on the cross of Christ. It's based on a church did this, a Christian did this. I don't know that I can live obedient to God. I, I don't want to change that's normally what's really going on. It's not that, they've, that they're unwilling to see this Christ and be in all of it. It's that they don't, want to, they don't want to be obedient to it. 
I wonder, friend, you're here today. I don't know who drug you in the building. What will you do with the calling of Christ? Hear the voice today saying, My friend, I have saved you. Maybe that's for you. I've saved you and set you free. Will you respond immediately and obediently to that? Christian today, I've been working on this scenario. You've been hearing my voice calling to you saying, Stop this. It's not helping you. Will you respond to that today? I've been calling you towards something, believer, to your family, that you would speak into that, to your coworkers, that you would do this as a parent, that you would change as a husband, as a wife. I've been calling. How will you respond? With not today or with obedience? I hear you, God. I hear you. I don't, I don't know entirely how to do everything you've called me to do, but help me with my unbelief. Strengthen me where I need it. As the psalmist said, search my heart, know my thoughts. Guide me towards things that are no longer offensive to you. That's the right response. Not, not, not today. No, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of belief and obedience. Immediately, carefully, continually. How will you respond to the great call of Jesus today? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask now, I ask that you would guide our hearts. That as the psalmist said, you would search us in this very moment. That there's somebody perhaps in the audience today, there's someone in this congregation today that has been putting off the truth of salvation for a very long time. Or maybe just for a season, they've been putting this off. And I pray, God, I pray today that it would be so obvious to them. That, God, you paid the price they couldn't pay. That, God, you've already dealt with their sin, their brokenness, the things that are causing them uh, such anxiety and depression and stress, and they're eating at them. And they've worked on <laughs> relationships, and there's so many things they've been challenged to try to do, and they recognize, I can't, I can't fix any of this. I can't, what do I do about any of this? And, and that underlying thought of what's next, and What's beyond this place? And what does all this mean? All of these questions of, why am I broken? What is my purpose? Why don't I have peace? All of these questions. God, would you search that heart today and reveal yourself to them that we were made for you. We were made to worship you and be with you for eternity. That was your desire at creation. And all the things that challenge us, all of the many issues that we struggle with, and all of these things have purpose, they have meaning when we finally say yes to you. If that's you today, friend, today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, not I'll do that later. That makes no sense. When the best news and the best thing that will ever happen to you in this life, the thing you were designed for, is readily available today. That makes no sense. Put it off no longer. If it's you, pray simply with me. As the book of Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We believe that as a people. We believe that as a church. If that's you today, pray with me. Jesus, you are Lord of my life. That means you're in charge You're the one who's in charge. 
Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me, for my sin, my brokenness, my mess. You paid for it. I believe that today. And God, I believe you raised Jesus from the grave. I believe in the resurrection that this Jesus that I'm putting my faith in now is alive and active today. I believe that. And God, I'm asking, I'm asking you, would you please move in my life that I would understand real purpose, that I would understand what it means to have real rest today. So much of what I've heard today are definitely things that are eating at me, God. I want to know what it means to have true spiritual rest. God, move in my life. And the rest of us are praying that right with you, my friend. Welcome to the family of God, and we're praying right along with you that God would restore our our rest, that he would show us where he's on the move, that we would fully live in and understand our purpose in this place, that we would no longer go this way and and, and, and that, trying to find meaning when the meaning was always right there in the person of Jesus. God, help us, as your word said today, to carefully consider, to take care of our hearts. God, I pray that you would challenge us. So many of us in the room, we don't have any real habit of keeping the fire aflame. We don't have any habits that really do that. So we're completely just ashes right now. Maybe a little bit of smoke coming out sometimes, God. I pray that you would show us, reveal yourself to us, challenge us to have more community with you and with one another. Would you prick our hearts with that right now, Lord? I pray you would show up in a mighty way when we pray later today, when we pray in the morning. I pray that you would so reveal yourself to us. We love you. We're thankful for what you've done in us and through us and for this great, great calling. Help us now to live into it, to hear it and respond rightly. In Jesus' name, amen.